0: I didn't lose it. I still have that that essence, that gift that we all have.
1: Welcome to the Mind Your Own Business Podcast, where you'll learn business strategies from successful business entrepreneurs in their respective fields. Here's to hoping you gain new perspectives from this podcast. Good afternoon, evening, morning, whatever time you're listening to this, this is the Mind Your Own Business Podcast. I'm your host, Emron Pilati, and I'm here with the wonderful, the amazing, and this is her real name, Angela Rockwood. She is a dear friend of mine. We've known each other for more than 10 years, and she agreed to be the business of inspiration as part of the podcast. Hi, Angela. Hi, Emron. Thank <laughs> you
0: for having me on your podcast. I'm loving this right now. It's so awesome.
1: All right. So for those that don't know you, tell them a little bit about your modeling career, because you've been a model for goodness, what, 30 years, 20 years, 25 years. Talk to us.
0: I guess we're going to age me. We're going to have to. Right. So (laughs) I started modeling when I was 17, when I was a senior in high school. Um, My mom, it was funny. She's like, you know, if you lost a little weight, you know, you're a little cute. You could do some modeling. And a lot of people don't know this, but I actually started modeling because um i didn't have the money to go to college and i wanted to go to medical into the medical field and also i wanted to go out there and represent all the other asian americans out there because i didn't have a role model to look up to and so now 30 years later now i'm 47 and i'm still modeling
1: i see i didn't i didn't out you you outed you on your on your age Um, um now you said we're on a podcast they see the podcast cover what is your nationality what is your background so
0: my ethnicity my mom is thai chinese her her mother is uh, my grandmother is thai and my grandfather is chinese and my father blonde blue eyes um he's his mother is german and father is italian so i'm a mutt i'm a mixed just all
1: i would have have never guessed the german part for sure really oh my god
0: These broad German shoulders. Come on, really?
1: So, so you started modeling at seventeen, and yes. we're
0: gonna add, we're
1: gonna add some flavor to this in a second. Started modeling at seventeen. What was your first gig that you did? Do you remember it?
0: I left home at seventeen and I moved to Hawaii, Hawaii, and my first gig, modeling printwise or commercial,
1: which one? Whichever one you want to talk about
0: oh goddess it was probably some swimwear it was like I think it was a swimwear ad um, in Hawaii but my very first big big one I would say was in New York I think I was 19 and it was like one of those bridal it was like a bridal or prom ad that you find in like a teen magazine or something like that something like that I can't even remember that's like God, that's going back 30 years
1: yeah i was I'm gonna on. say that was that was in the mid 90s so i'm sure you had the big hair then,
0: like 93 that was that was in yeah in, in hawaii in new york but if we're talking like big name like my big big one um after the accident or before the accident
1: well, we'll they don't know about the accident just yet so let's yeah, talk they don't
0: know yet right they're like yeah, what? Yeah. what accident um yeah. so let me see here you guys so before the big boom I would say the big one, I, I modeled for Vanity Fair, actually. People don't know this, but I was wow. an in-house Vanity Fair model. Not the magazine, but the lingerie. So that was big for me. That was huge. huge. Being 19 years old in New York, the Big Apple, and you're modeling for a lingerie company, making $500 a day. So I worked four days, made $2,000 in four days, and I'd had my rent covered for the month.
1: Well, I don't think people understand the business of modeling and how money is made. <coughs> so. All right. So let's talk. So did you actually go into acting at that time? No, I didn't get into
0: acting yet, but I did commercials, though. I didn't fall into the acting business until I was on the set of Fast and Furious. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. I
1: do this. Oh, OK. All right. Let's talk. And then you had a relationship with somebody in the Hollywood uh world if you want to talk about that that's fine if not no big deal but yeah, I think okay so you were married to an actor
0: i was married to an actor most people know him from a tv show back in the 80s called 21 jump street um with johnny depp and holly robinson key his name was dustin or his not was he's still alive <laughs> his name is dustin Wynn, yeah so i was um i was with dustin for 13 years
1: and and this also, you had some friendships and you had some friendships with other actresses, including somebody that was very important to you that we no longer have. Um, let's talk about the, the, the life-changing event. Um, tell us a little bit about that.
0: So for those that can't see that from the waist down, I am sitting in a wheelchair. And the confusion is, as Imran was looking, that I do move my hands a little bit. But I am classified as a quadriplegic because 21 years ago, one week before 9-11, I was injured in a horrific car accident. I actually was planning my wedding with two of my bridesmaids. Um, and one of them that Imran's talking about is her name is Tweed Trang. She is the, she's known as the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger, the Yellow Ranger, the first Asian American Power Ranger. She was one of my bridesmaids and I was planning my wedding up in San Francisco and I was returning back to Los Angeles where I was involved in the accident and I was sitting in the back seat during the collision of the accident. I had put my I actually I'm giving the short of the story because there's lots of details here. But basically, I put my head down to pray. And when the car hit the back of the mountain or the side of the mountain, the top of my head hit the back of the seat. And so that's when I had shattered my C4, C5 vertebrae and severed my spinal cord just completely that it paralyzed me instantly. When the car flipped four or five times, I was catapulted out of the little triangle window, not rectangle, but the triangle window, my German shoulders busted the windows. I flew like this angelic goddess that I am, about 35 feet, landed on the left side of my head bled to death, saw the white light, came back. When I woke up in the hospital, I opened my eyes. I remember looking up at that ceiling and it was like deja vu. And the first thought was, oh my God, I'm alive. The second thought, I knew it was for a reason. And I had this flash before me. And um, I don't know, it was crazy because I couldn't feel my body. I couldn't move. Here I was, I was an athlete, I raced motorcycles, I ran, I was a martial artist, but now I was paralyzed, and I had this serenity that just came over me, because I was alive, and this voice spoke to me, telling me all these things, I asked my father to sit by my bedside, he wrote word for word, that vision, those words, and I can tell you I'm living it till this day.
1: Were you the only survivor from the... Accident. No,
0: I was not. The driver survived. My girlfriend, Stefiana Dela Cruz, she's married to a famous actor named Kevin James. He was um in that show. King, King of Queens. Queens. Yeah, King of Queens. So she survived. She was the driver. And um, fortunately, you know, nothing happened to her. Unfortunately, she did deal with survivor's guilt. So that kind of affected our, our relationship because you know, she kind of distanced herself feeling that she paralyzed one person and had killed another person, even though I told her it was an accident. What's crazy, Emron, is that when I was 17 years old, I had a premonition that I was going to be in a bad car accident. I didn't know I was going to be paralyzed, but I remember being in that intensive care unit and my girlfriend Steph had came in and she just saw me there paralyzed and she felt so bad. And I remember saying to her, babe, it's okay. Like, this is okay. This, is, this was supposed to happen. This was my destiny. And she said, yeah, but why do I have to be a part of your destiny? Why did I have to put you there? Why did I have to do this? And I just said, it's an accident, it's okay. And then after that, I didn't see her for a good while. I think that the folks like all my friends and families who were kind of, you know, it's, it's normal for humans who want to wanna put blame on someone for something. But to make that long story short, um, I did reunite with her about 11 years ago. And she took it really hard when she saw me in the wheelchair. But, you know, I just told her again, I still love you. I'm not mad at you. I don't hate you. And, And that was it. You know, I'm still living my life to the fullest.
1: When I beat cancer two times, I had what I would describe. And I learned later what survivor's guilt is. For those that are listening that don't know what that means, give us kind of the definition of what that is, because I think a lot of people um, that go through a traumatic event don't understand why not me. How come I didn't do this? How come it didn't happen to me? Or how did I survive, but the other people did not? What is a survivor's guilt like for the person that's feeling it?
0: You're asking me to explain?
1: Well, I, I think it's just tougher to... I think when I went through survivor's guilt, I was just trying to figure out why me. How did I survive when other people didn't? I'm I guess, did you ever have it, you personally? Um, even though you went through such a traumatic for yourself? Like how did I how why was I still alive to to carry on my my life's mission?
0: Okay, so I'm gonna be completely ome- open. I'm sure. okay, so I'm gonna be completely open and honest here. And whether this goes over some people's head, or maybe it's gonna to touch a few people out there and it's gonna really resonate, connect with them. But um, when people ask me like, was I ever depressed? No. Was I ever sad? No. For myself, no, I wasn't. Because the fact that I did know I had a, an inkling of an idea, that premonition, whatever you wanna label it as, that I was gonna be an accident, it was kind of like my warning. So. The fact that when i woke up in the hospital it was like okay it was like i'm alive i'm just grateful to be alive whether i'm rolling or whatever but the thing that really bothered me about it, and i will be honest here and open is because it can get really deep so i don't know if you ever saw the movie sixth sense with the little boy that sees like, and things he's, like that.
1: he's ghosts right
0: so that was me when i was a little So that's a whole other subject. Like that's a whole other podcast we could talk about. And it got to the point before my car accident, I got so in that when I walk into a room and I would brush up against someone, I could read everything about them, who their guardian angel was, what happened to them the night before, what message I needed to tell them. It, It sounds crazy. I mean, it happens now. Like I'll be at the airport the woman will be patting me down and her guardian angel will be saying, say it, Anne. say it, tell her. And I'm like, I I'm can't tell this woman. She's going to freak out. I was like, okay, fine. I'll tell her. And I look at the lady and I'm like, ma'am, don't freak out. Don't freak out. I know your son fell off the bunk bed this morning. She's like, oh my God, are you a psychic? And I was like, no, no, no. Don't use that word. No. I was like, I'm not a psychic. And like, so I got so connected spiritually in that sense and intuitive that when I got paralyzed, Here I was now, numb, completely numb from the neck down. I couldn't feel nothing. I couldn't move anything. And at that time, I didn't move my hands. I controlled everything with my mouth. So I had this little sip and puff that I would blow into to control my wheelchair and everything. I turned the TV on with it. I'd answer the phone with it. But So the point that I'm getting to is I would go into my backyard. I would recline my chair all the way down and lay in the chair looking up at the clouds. And for a whole year, I would ask, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Why did I become paralyzed like this? Why did you take this gift away from me? Why did you like numb my body? I can't feel anything now. But I kept asking this question over and I kept playing the car accident in my mind. I could have done this. What if I kept my seatbelt on? What if I didn't take it off? What if they, like, I just kept, I drove myself crazy. So finally, at the end of that one year, it hit me that they were like, when I say they, meaning my guides, my angels, whatever you wanna call them, your guardian angels, your intuitive, your higher self. It finally hit me, the light bulb went on when I was like, oh, okay, I see it. I didn't lose it. I still have that, that essence, that gift that we all have to be in tuned. It's inside of me, but now I have to really hone on it and like amplify it and use it to the best of my ability.
1: Hi, everyone. Quick interruption here. I'm sorry to jump in, but I'm hoping you're enjoying this podcast. If you do me a massive favor, no commercials, no sponsors. The only way that this grows is by you telling your friends, telling your family, telling your grandma, come check out the pod, Mind Your Own Business. Please subscribe and rate. That'll help me get more traction and having you help me grow this podcast. Thanks again. Back to the pod. That makes any sense. First time I ever met you was at a real estate event. I was speaking, and then you, Tiffany, Mia, Ati, four of you spoke after. That's how I met you. I got to know you, and I was very shocked when you told me that you were considered a quadriplegic because I see you moving your arms and moving your, your, your uh, upper limbs. And um, you weren't like that to begin with. You talked about blowing into a almost like a straw to control everything. Tell me about the process that you went through to get from the blowing through the straw to where you're at today. Like, how did you work through that? And is that something that normally happens to those that go through a a paralyzation of their spinal cord?
0: So everybody is different. Um, Basically, when I got paralyzed, of course, the doctor told my ex-husband, Dustin and my father that I had three to 5% chance of moving or feeling anything. And at that time, yeah, I couldn't move or feel nothing and they would put like a pillow on my lap and put my hands on the pillow. If my hand slipped off that pillow and just hung on the side, it would just stay there until someone lifted up my hand and put it back on the pillow. But what happened was um, because of my martial arts background and just my way of just the holistic beliefs and just uh, believing in something bigger than, than the medical field and what they are telling me because I do believe in something higher, and I believe that the body is a miraculous thing that I was like, I was not going to take that I only had three to 5% chance. In fact, I actually had told, I remember telling Dustin, I remember Dustin completely just distraught. He was so sad. I remember him sitting in the corner of that hospital room with this sad look on his face. I remember looking at him. I couldn't move, but I'm sitting, trying to move my head saying, you better wipe that sadness off your face. I was like, I'm not going to be like this. I'm going to move again. And it's whether I move, you know, I remember telling I'm gonna move my body again.
1: And I didn't know
0: whether I was gonna move it or not, but I knew I could move it and feel it. I can move and feel in other ways. But basically to answer your question, I ended up leaving the United States three years, two and a half, almost three years after my injury. And I went to Lisbon, Portugal. And I was the third American to have this pioneering stem cell surgery by this wonderful doctor, may he rest in peace, Dr. Carlos Lima. So I was under for six and a half hours. I didn't use cells from aborted fetus. I used my own stem cells. And when I came back, you know, they, they tell you it's not the magic bullet, like you're going to do the surgery and you're going to be walking the next day. But they do promise that you don't lose anything that you already have. And if you do gain anything, you gain it within seven months to a year. So another thing to answer your question, to add on that, For the first seven years of my my journey into when i got transported to the realm of the paralyzed i spent the first seven years just working out doing everything i possibly could you name it i probably did it i did the stem cells i did yoga i did you know every from walking with um what do you call it braces to electrical to electrically stemming I went down to this facility in San Diego called Project Waugh. I was getting out of my wheelchair and working out. I was doing acupuncture. I was taking this drug. I was taking that homeopathic, like I did everything. So I finally, by the point of the six year mark, that's when I was at the point where I was starting, I was moving my arms, which you're seeing right now. I did that. I I was on um, Entertainment Tonight. It was a month after my injury. They came to the hospital. And they did an interview on me because Imran, I would sit there staring at my hands and my arms, just meditating and telling my body to move, to move, just move. I would just constantly be staring at my finger for hours, trying to make it move. And finally, after a month, it finally moved.
1: Just like- You're kidding me.
0: No. So they captured that. They captured it on TV. So I was like able to move my finger like a little bit. And then I started to move my arms and then now I started lifting them up more. And then I started, you know, when I started, of course they teach you, it's really sad. The system is sad in a sense for people that are paralyzed. Once the doctor writes something in your file and says, oh, you have three to 5% chance of moving or feeling anything, you are classified as a C4, C5, quadriplegic complete. People are going to look at that folder and that's how they're going to base your whole entire life off of that diagnosis and it's really sad because I remember sitting there in the, in the facility in the rehab facility saying, I don't wanna be in this power chair. I wanna be in that manual chair. And they're like, no, you're a quadriplegic. You have to be in this power chair. I was like, no, I wanna be in that. They put me in the, in the manual chair and it took me I think an hour and a half to push from one end to the next end just to try to put to be in this manual chair. I, I did it, but it took me an hour and a half And um, what I was trying to add to that was, it's just, if you don't use it, you lose it. So I just kept the mindset that I just need to move my body. I just need to wake it up. And that's what Project Walk did for me down in San Diego. They took me out of my wheelchair and these trainers just started moving my body and waking it up and I had to connect with it like a magician trying to move a cup. And I just started getting better and stronger. And then what you see now is basically what I basically gained back within six years.
1: I think that people will hear this story up to now and we're, I don't know how many minutes we're into this thing, but this is really where some magic happens, okay? A lot of people are like, wow, she was able to move her arms now and she's back to having, she's always had this great spirit about her. What you've built, the empire that you've built since then is pretty impressive. So you go back, you're now moving your arms, you have some mobility, you're still in the wheelchair, but you said, all right, Angela, time to get back to being Angela. And so you started doing modeling again and started working again. Go from, go from that point. So the accident happened 21 years ago. When did you start getting back to work? So
0: the accident happened 21 years ago. And like I said, I was doing the healing and the, um, just trying to wake my body up for the first six years. So that was it. I I was at this Christopher Reeve event four years after my paralysis. And I was sitting next to this amazing rock star on wheels. His name is Tobias Forrest. He's one of my dearest friends. And he was like, oh, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, well, I used to model and I act, or I used to model and act. And he's like, what do you mean used to? You still can't. And at that time, Ramon, I didn't know people could model or act in wheelchairs. You didn't open a magazine or look on TV. 20 years ago, you didn't see anything or anyone in a wheelchair doing any of that. And so I went to an acting class that he invited me to. And I put myself back out there as an actor. And I literally was waiting for wheelchair roles to roll in and nothing. I was lucky if I had one or two jobs in the year. That's how slow it was 20 years ago. It's changed now. But so in the meanwhile, I was like, what can I do? And no joke, like I'm a manifester, whatever I say, good or bad, I manifest it. And I remember saying, I need to put some rice on the table. I got to start making some money. And I need to start modeling. I need to represent. Wait, wait!
1: Did you say rice on the table? Yeah, I
0: gotta is start that, putting some rice is, on the table.
1: Is that the Asian version of bacon? Bringing yeah, home the bacon? Yeah, <laughs>
0: for bread. You know i I gotta put some bread on the table. Okay, got that's
1: you. That's the Asian version. I gotta put some rice on the table. I love that you pop that. Well, I'm Filipino, so what do you expect? I know. That. Go you ahead. the
0: rice on the table. Come on, Imran. You cannot have the chicken adobo Uh, without the rice.
1: I got you. All right, please continue putting rice on the table. It's time to get back to work.
0: Yeah, so uh, lo and behold, I remember telling a girlfriend this. I was sitting, I picked her up at the hospital. We're sitting at this panini shop in Beverly Hills. And I was saying to her, I'm doing all these great things for this company and that company and this, but I got to get paid now. And lo and behold, I go back home and a girlfriend of mine, Sean Richards, Emails me and says, Angela, Nordstrom is looking for models in wheelchairs. And luckily I had some photos. I sent them in and then boom, I got my first gig with Nordstrom. I shot with them in LA. And from that point on the next six years, they started flying me to New York to be their catalog model.
1: And one thing that I noticed you and I've worked together on several projects, one time when you spoke for my real estate company, You said, make sure that the photo includes my wheelchair in it. That's really important for you to make sure that that's in there. Why is that such an important factor on all your headshots or anything that you do?
0: It's about authentic representation. And the funny thing is, even when I was doing these ads, it was a huge thing because people were actually writing into Nordstrom saying, how dare Nordstrom hire an able-bodied model And put her in a wheelchair to pretend to be a quadriplegic. Oh wow! And I had to write in saying, "No, I'm really paralyzed. I'm really a quadriplegic." I had to tell these people this, so they're just thinking, like, "What is Nordstrom doing? Why are they doing this? Why are they not letting real representation?" So when I go out for a booking, I do put my wheelchair in there to show it. Like, yeah, I'm not just sitting on a couch because I'm just trying to pose or sitting in a wheelchair. Like, I actually sit and model.
1: So the modeling happens, but then the acting happens. You start doing things on screen as an actor. Let's talk about the opportunities that presented itself that actually led you to producing your own show.
0: Yeah, so like I was saying, Imran, I literally was sitting around waiting for wheelchair roles to roll in. There was nothing, there was nothing. So they say, you you gotta, you gotta create your own your own thing and put it out there. And as I said, I'm not kidding. If I tell you the full details of these stories, I know we only have a certain amount of time, so we can't go into a lot of details, but my girlfriend literally had said to me, we're cleaning my bedroom, my closet out. And she's like, and you're doing all these great things and everything, but like, you need to get out there more. You need to do like your own reality show. And I'm looking at her like, what? My own reality show? Like, what are you talking about? I'm a serious actress here. Like actors don't do reality shows. Like they just, that's not a, that's a whole other thing. But she was like, no. And funny thing, Imran, she goes into my closet. She pulls out a bunch of business cards, throws them on my lap. She's like, here, go through all these. Tell me what you want to throw in the garbage, what you want to say, whatever. So I'm sifting through them. I come across this card, American Gladiators. And I'm thinking... Huh, (laughs) I an American Gladiator. Do you know this story?
1: I don't know the story, but I know American Gladiators, because I used to watch it.
0: I'm I'm looking at it and I have a friend who is an American Gladiator. I was like, Mike never gave me his card. So it turns out a year prior, I was at an American Gladiator's tryout with a friend of mine. And that's a whole other story, but I ended up bumping, not bumping. I was sitting in the middle of the street while it was about to start raining. And this executive producer walks up to me and basically introduces himself because he had seen me in people magazine an article about me and dustin and i'm thinking he was like wait excuse me is your name angela rockwood i'm thinking who is this person they don't know me and i'm like yes they're like are you married to dustin way i'm like yes they're like oh my god i read your guys love story so he introduced himself so he's the executive so he gives me his card okay this is i'm i'm, I'm catching up with the details gives me his card a year goes by i've never called this guy nothing Now I'm in my bedroom with his card in my lap, not thinking anything. I put the card aside and then I swear to you Imran, the very next day, he Facebooks me. And he's like, hi Angela, remember me? David Hurwitz of American Gladiators and Fear Factor. I wanted to talk to you about a possible reality show idea about your life called Can't Sit Still.
1: You haven't talked to him in a year the card is sitting and the very next day he reaches out to you girl you need to manifest uh powerball uh numbers or something
0: i know that's what everybody says but the magic doesn't work that way or maybe <laughs> it works that way but he introduced me to gay rosenthal who does little people big world my girls i called my girls up who are known as the push girls tiffany mia ati and myself we went out we pitched for, oh my gosh, for four and a half, almost five months to all the major networks in Hollywood. Everybody said no, but the one major network that finally said yes after another three months was Sundance. So we were picked up and Robert Redford bought 14 episodes the first year and he bought 10 episodes the second year. So we won the Critics' Choice Awards for Best Reality Series for Push Girls.
1: And that was the part where you get to see behind the curtain. You get to see what it's like to be somebody that is is paralyzed. And all four of you girls who I I got to know and become friends with all had the ability to walk and then have it taken away. And that whenever I think of inspirational stories, when somebody's born without something, that's, uh, you know, they have challenges, of course, but they don't know any different because that's how they were born it's different when you physically have the ability to do something and then having it taken away, because not only are you dealing with the physical limitations of what you cannot do that you used to be able to, but more importantly, the mental aspect of it and saying, how do I, how do I get used to this? How do I feel about this? And I think that the push girl show in itself was such a unique show that said, you know, like, for example, the little people, big world, they were born small, you know, they're smaller people. You had the ability to walk. Then it was taken away. Then you had to adapt. Um, what did that do? I, I'm sure that as fans wrote in or people watched the show, you were getting all kinds of very unique fan mail or messages that many other shows didn't get. What are some of the things that you remember that people were reaching out to you about?
0: Oh my God, there's so many things. I mean, the one thing, you know, Emron, one thing about Push Girls when I was on it, a lot of people don't know i was like a deer in the headlights because during that time i made the biggest decision of my life to break up with dustin i divorced him at that time and i also lost all of my nursing care imagine having 18 hours of nursing care and now you have nothing and then now you've just been blessed and gifted this your own tv show so for me it was just a huge daze at that time but now when i look back there i'm still getting mail still getting quote-unquote emails and and Instagram mails and and DMs from, from folks and even meeting people on the street. But one of the biggest things that they say is just they thank me and the girls for doing what we did and being authentic and showing exactly our life, the ups and the downs and everything, because it helped them through it. And a lot of them, surprisingly, were mothers, mothers who had daughters that were injured and they didn't know what to do during that time but when they saw our show it made things better for them and then they were able to show our show to their daughter and it made them happier to know that they could live a fulfilled life even if they're on wheels
1: so you started you're part of the producing team on that show correct yes so you're saying you said that with joy is it a different yeah. thing produ- I, my previous
0: much but where were
1: you gonna ask sorry go well, on I was gonna say my previous um interview that I did with Thomas Ian Nicholas he talked about being in front of the camera versus behind the camera and you seem to have real joy in the production aspect of it what what were you in charge of as the producer one of the producers if not the producer of that show
0: well I was the main I, I was like I was saying to you when David Hurwitz came to me he wanted to The show was really originally supposed to be about me. It had nothing to do with other girls at that time. It was about how I can't sit still as a quadriplegic. I just go, go, go and go. But I didn't want this show to be about my life. I wanted it to represent all the women out there, all the people out there. And that's why I had included my girlfriends because that's the story. It has nothing to do with me. And I wanted to reach out to millions of people, right? And so my whole part in it was just keeping it as authentic and as real. I'm all about putting the real back into reality. And there were times, of course, you know, Sundance didn't need the ratings. They don't need that, it's Sundance, but you know, there is a formula to reality shows. They like the drama, they like the fighting, they like all that stuff. That's what people like to watch. But of course we do have our obstacles. We do have our challenges day to day. So we had to showcase that and be real about it and that was my thing is like okay this is my difficulty this is where this is what i have to deal with and so i had to share that because a producer who is able-bodied is not going to know so i had to paint that picture the same way i had to paint the picture when i was going into those pitch meetings when you sit there and say something like tiffany is going to the playboy mansion and she's having these this fun time or Auntie's dancing in her wheelchair or mia's swimming people can't they can't visualize that. They don't see that. So you basically have to paint that picture for them.
1: And now that's led into a whole bunch of other stuff. One of the things that you've done is you worked with the Christopher Reeve Foundation. And as we kind of go to the back end of this interview, I want to talk about where you see the hope of where it's going towards those that are paraplegic, quadriplegic. Where Where is science going to where there's some hope?
0: I really believe in my heart that we will in our lifetime, we're gonna see a huge change. I mean, there's already small steps. I've already seen some stuff where they've had, you know, from the stem cells, but even actual uh, devices that actually help individuals get up or feel uh, bladder function or feel their legs. Or um, I remember this was a couple years ago um, I was an ambassador for the Christopher Dana Reeve Foundation a long time ago. I worked with them on their minority outreach campaign. And I would always get the up-to-date, just what's out there. And I remember seeing this one um, device that they created that basically sends electrical currents up to the brain. And they had, I believe they took about seven guys, and they were all up, quote unquote, upright and getting some bladder function back or sensation back or just uh, some type of function that they didn't have. But to answer your question, I feel, I mean, come on, just thank God, I mean, I'm not gonna get political here, but the fact that we can have stem cell surgeries now or just have, cause you know, when I, 20 years ago, they didn't allow stem cells in our country. So the fact now that they're allowing it that's huge. So I do see within our lifetime, we will see something positive happen with folks with, with, with spinal cord injuries. That's what I want to believe at least.
1: What's uh, what's on the projects that you can mention now? Because you, you and I talked on the previous before we started recording, that you're working on a bunch of other projects. And um, you know, this is the business of inspiration. So inspire us with what uh, Angela Rockwood is working on now that you can mention because I know you got some projects. Oh, no, no,
0: I definitely can mention. It, so it's all good. So just for the folks out there. So I have moved for the folks that know I'm, I've i been living in Los Angeles, City of, City of Angels for the last 24 years. I just moved to the East Coast to be closer to New York and putting myself back out there. I just shot this incredible project in LA just two weeks ago, but I'm basically putting myself back out there At 47, an Asian American woman sitting in a wheelchair, quadriplegic, back into the modeling arena. Because I wanna show that beauty comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, ages, and in every vessel. You don't have to be a cookie cutter specific way. And um, project-wise, I'm bringing it back because the fans are still asking, are you going to bring Push Girls back? It's not gonna exactly be Push Girls, but I am working on a project to bring it back and put it out there because I am all about the inspiration, about showing people that no matter what happens to you, you can still live your life to the fullest.
1: And so for those that are, uh, sometimes we have people that go through their own emotional uh, turmoil or there are people that having a hard time. Um, I remember when you spoke at our conference, you had people coming up to you as soon as you were done uh, speaking, and they were crying and they were speaking with you. And I thought my life was having some issues, and then I saw what you were able to overcome. Words of wisdom: What would you say to people that are going through a tough time and and how to get through it?
0: Oh, uh, there's so many so many things I can share and say. I have so many in my in my bag of goodies, but. one thing that i can say that's resonating really deep right now on the surface is when you're in that moment of trouble i mean we're all here people need to understand that we're here to learn lessons we're here to evolve when you accept the fact that you are a soul an essence that's here living your life and learning to grow to evolve that's the first step so whenever you're going through a tough time whatever it may be whether it's losing Uh, a loved one to breast cancer or going through a divorce or laying in bed for nine months because you have a pressure wound, I always visualize the pendulum. That however negative the pendulum swings to the far, far right, when that pendulum swings back to the left, it's gonna be so positive and so powerful because you're always gonna get out of that hole. You're always gonna get out of that darkness and the pendulum is always going to swing back to the light. So, as long as you stay patient, as long as you understand, as long as you keep your peace of mind and stay balanced, then you're going to get through it.
1: I'm going to put in the show notes how do people follow you? How do people stay connected with you whether it's Instagram, Twitter, whatever it be.
0: People can follow me on Instagram at the real angela rockwood. I have I have four accounts, but <laughs> There's the real Angela Rockwood, there's the rolling goddess, there's the rolling empire, and there's and tribe. But they can follow me at the real Angela Rockwood and at Angela Rockwood on Facebook.
1: Incredible. Thank you for continuing to be an inspiration for all of us. We love you.
0: Thank you, Imran.